Happy anniversary. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You and Linda, seven years now, is that right? Seven years. Where does the time go? I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, congratulations. Hi, I'm George Tekmanchev here with S.D. Anderson. <laughs> Steve, the... B.C. Anderson. The B.C., the big cat. Hey, it's our first podcast together since the beginning of the year. Did you know that? No. Yeah. So, you know, the, uh, the listeners have been clamoring to get you back on, and uh, I'm glad that uh, our schedule's lined up to allow it this time. Yeah, it's like the worst. I, this time of year is like paralyzing, right? There's so much happening. So ATA show is something you got back from recently. You would, you know, we're both going to be tracking what's happening in Nîmes this weekend. There's a lot of other stuff going on. Preparation for Vegas is the big one for you, I presume. Yeah, um, we got a lot happening in Vegas, and then Lancaster is next weekend. So, oh yeah, you know, I've got to prep for that and get booth stuff over there. And it's really interesting. I don't know. It's interesting. Just the booth stuff is always interesting. Sure. Well, let's be thankful that we have events to, you know, be preparing for, because uh, I don't want to be where we were a year ago. No, that sucked. And yeah, enough said that that sucked. And now we're it's not great, but it's certainly getting better. Uh, Indoor World Series has its first elite stop at Neem and. the ranking points from Neem and Vegas will pick who will compete at the Indoor Archery World Series final on Saturday night in Las Vegas in February. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a people better remember their twenty threes, or they're going to be having a bad time. Right. You know the um, the circuits also opened up to local events around the globe, so anybody taking part um, in the competitions that have been registered as part of the Indoor World Series will have a worldwide open rank, but only if you shoot Neem or Vegas, and preferably both, which is hard for the Americans to do, you'll find yourself on the, uh, you know, making a shadow in the spotlight on Saturday night in Vegas, which is going to be broadcast live around the world, uh, along with the Vegas final on Sunday. And uh, it's going to be a show. And I think that um, it's going to be the first time in a long time that we probably should not expect to see Korea there because of a couple of factors. The biggest one, of course, being the ongoing situation. The second factor being they are right in the middle, Steve, of their uh, winter training and picking their national team. And that's a long process. In fact, they're also picking uh, the person that will be their head coach at the end of this month. You know, every couple of years they switch up who the head coach is. And so uh, I can imagine that that's got to be one of the most hotly contested jobs in the sport of archery. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, how do you, uh, that's interesting because how often do they change it? Like every eight years or so? It seems to be on a two-year cycle. Oh, okay. I I thought I remembered seeing the same faces for. Yes, because those people stay on the coaching staff, but the head coach pretty much swaps out every couple of years from what I Used to understand. Now that may so the head coach may not be the person you see out on the field with the athletes in a team round or something like that. That may be that is possible. Yeah, yeah, it may be. It may be that some of the coaches work specifically with specific athletes in specific situations. One of the uh, one of the big guns in Korean archery, of course, 
is uh, Park Sang Hyun, and she is going to be stepping up as the lead coach for the women. So imagine having the uh, first woman to shoot a 1400 in the coaching box telling you or helping you, you know, get through a match. That's got to be a great advantage. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool. I know a lot of people were excited to see her back. Um, she was, I think she wrapped up her career just before my time coming into archery, really. So, uh, you know, I only hear of her and obviously, you, you know, of the accomplishments she's had, but never, I don't believe I've ever seen her or anything like that. So just a terrific human being. Um, her husband, uh, also named Puck, uh, of course, was a, a, an Olympic competitor, um, second place at Barcelona 92. And I believe that there is the possibility, and this is, you know, remains to be seen, but there are two women on the Korean team actively shooting right now who've also scored a 1400. And so they're the only women to have done it, you know, in official competition. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Ryu Sujung and, of course, the Olympic champion, An San. Uh, both of them did it in 2020. Now, you know what that means. It's possible you could see all three of the world's 1,400 shooters with a recurve on the same field. <laughs> one in a coaching box and two plus one in, uh, you know, in a team round or something. So that could be, yeah. that could be great uh, material for the, uh, for the commentators. Very cool, too. And Korea will host the uh, second stage of the World Cup in May. And I know, uh, you know, being on the World Cup circuit, I I expect you're looking forward to getting out and getting to that event. I think everyone's looking forward to competing in Korea. Like, my wife is very excited about it, you know. Like, first thing she told me, we got the email in like an overnight thing and she woke up and it was the first thing she told me. She read her email and she's like, Oh, we're going to Korea. Blah. You know, she's very excited. So, yeah. Well, um, that's really great. Yeah. I think everyone, it's cool. It's, I, I look at Korea as one of the homes of archery. And I've said that before, but it's definitely one of the homes of the sport of archery just because of their, uh, everything they, they do for the sport and their continued. Uh, I'm trying to find the right word to not offend everybody, but their continued success in the sport. And I think domination is an okay word to use. Yeah, I didn't want to use dominance. Someone would get upset about that, and you know they do not dominate. If you get upset by somebody dominating something, work harder. Well, yeah, it. uh, And I understand your point as a member of the U.S. team that, you know, uh, but respect for your competitors is something you've always shown. And I think that that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, I I think I'll probably continue to respect my competitors, too. I don't know. We'll see. You know, it's probably my last go around internationally. So maybe I'll just completely disrespect everybody while I'm at it. Who knows? In other archery news this week, uh, Sarah Lopez is a candidate for World Games Athlete of the Year. And that's not World Games Archery Athlete, that's World Games Athlete of the Year, which is pretty cool. Uh, and the voting um, starts started a few days ago. Um, you can get the details on that by visiting the World Archery website, which is worldarchery.sport. But um, this is pretty cool. She's uh, been nominated, uh, I believe, four times before. Yeah, uh, for this. And it's it's quite a, uh, you know, quite a, an accomplishment to be the World Games Athlete of the Year. 
she has been the World Games Athlete of the Month back uh, in 2014 and again in 2020. And um, there's a prize that goes with that. She donated her prize to combating the COVID pandemic in Colombia. So, you know, showing some real class there. Yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, Sarah had a great year. I mean, you know, she uh, she has the record right now for the longest consecutive amount of time spent as the number one ranked archer in the women's compound category. And, you know, she didn't have the greatest start to the year uh, in 2021, but she closed it out by winning everything you can win at the world championship. Her, you know, world championship individual gold and then um, another world cup championship right afterwards. So huge year for her in 2021, which is not something most people can say, Steve. She really made the most of it, didn't she? Yeah. Um, it it must be hard to separate for her, like the success. She's like, oh, I don't even remember how many times now that I've won this or won that. Like, you know, it seems like every year is kind of a huge year for her, which is a great position to be in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I do recall her being up for this award multiple times. Um, yeah. Obviously. Well, you know, and, and it's a it's a list of luminaries that get nominated for this. It started in 2013 and at least for the compound women uh, or for the women, I should say, uh, because it's it, it some sometimes it's recurve that's nominated. You have Erica Jones back in 2013 that was nominated. And then Sarah Lopez was nominated in 14 and 15. Mike, Mr. Perfect, Schlusser was nominated in 2016. In 2017, Lisa Unruh of Germany was nominated. And of course, that came after her stupendous performance at the Rio Games. Uh, and then it was Sarah Lopez in 18, Sarah Lopez in 19. In 2020, Morgan London was nominated for Greatest Archer of All Time, which is interesting. Um, certainly, he's on the short list you know, having won just about everything you can win in world archery. And then again, uh, this year, it is Sarah Lopez who's been nominated. So, you know, a real list of luminaries for our sport. And uh, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, we've got the World Games coming to the United States, to Birmingham, Alabama. It's taken me some effort, Steve, to be able to pronounce Birmingham without pronouncing it like the British city, which, you know, which I'm much more familiar with. <laughs> what, Birmingham? Yeah. Yeah, I, I kept saying Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> I'm sure that that rolled a few eyes down there. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, it's going to be quite a show this year. We are looking forward to it. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know how many of the people, you know, are looking to uh, actually go. Well, the tickets are starting to be available from what I understand, and they're not going to have a ton of tickets. So if you want to see archery uh, at the highest level, in field archery for recurve and target archery for compound great opportunity to uh to see the very best in the world yeah i meant from like a competitive standpoint like i don't know i don't know who all i maybe everybody's going to shoot trials i don't think i am there's yeah, they, they didn't make it easy year. they did not make it easy for trials for the united states uh, because of the schedule yeah this year's schedule just stinks and a lot of Arizona. us got accustomed to or adjusted our life to not traveling as much, you know? Yes, so it's this tough is true. to get back on that and do 26, 28 weeks a year away just because of other things that maybe we've set up or started up since I, 2020 happened. I, I believe you're right. You know, I, I think that I'm finding myself in a similar circumstance. You know, I've, I've had a recent discussion about a major tournament that's going to require some major amount of travel for me to be able to attend. And, uh, 
in the past, I would have absolutely jumped on on that and and just not thought twice about it. And now I'm like, ah, logistically, how am I going to deal with this? So yeah. I, I get it. I, you're right. It's uh, it is a little different. It has reset some of our uh, comfort level, I suppose, with uh, making plans for long trips. But got to start sometime. So hopefully sooner than later. Speaking of long trips, uh, there aren't, as I mentioned, there are not too many Americans. I believe there are a total of four that were on the list going to Nîmes for the European Nîmes Indoor, but um, none of them in the uh, you know men's compound category. There, I believe George Riles is shooting in the Masters compound. He's listed that way, but other than that, I really don't recognize too many of the shooters on that list. So. Um, Nîmes is going to be dominated, of course, as usual, in terms of turnout by France. But there are many of the usual suspects, like Mike Schlusser, uh, who gets a happy belated birthday, Mike Schlusser. And, uh, you know, a number of other top shooters, guys like Stefan Hansen, um, are going to be there. So we should be seeing a showcase, maybe a preview of what to expect in Vegas, presuming that some of those same people can make it to Vegas, which right now is looking reasonably good. Speaking of Vegas and Neem, there's an interesting technical thing that I want to talk to you about a little bit, if you have a sec. Yeah, let's hear about this technical thing. So Vegas, of course, is just going to be triangular target faces, but Neem starts out with the Dutch targets, the vertical targets. And then for the finals, for obvious television reasons, which I'll explain if you want, um, they're going to go to triangle faces. And the yeah. reason is the reason is because, folks, the the television camera likes to get tight on the target. So, among other things, you as a viewer and the commentators uh, who are not looking at it through a scope, they're looking at it on the screen just like you are as a viewer. Commentators can tell something about where the arrow went, and it's really hard to do that with a vertical face because, except for shoot offs, there is no specific shooting order required for the vertical face. So the camera has to pan out to the full height of the three spots. With the triangle target, again, there's no specific shooting order. However, you can shoot tighter on the targets because they're closer together. Does that make sense? It makes sense if you don't think about it. Fair enough. Uh, like, like so many things in our sport. Yeah, I am always, I've always said get rid of the triangle face because... Switching from top to bottom is stupid. It takes time and it's stupid and dumb. And we should. So you mean change. you mean Vegas style? Yes. So if we all shot a vertical face, we would all be a lot better off, I believe. Um, we wouldn't have to take the time to swap top to bottom, which it's not like that takes a ton of time. It's just dumb. And people, I, I think it's a whole lot better to just have people shoot a vertical target. Rather than, oh, I'm going to fight to get the top or bottom target, whatever my preferred target is at Vegas and blah, 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 uh, you know. So they're running out there 40 minutes ahead of time to pin their target face up so that they're in their whatever preferred spot. I don't know. Yeah. Just well, to me, if yeah. you shot top to, to bottom, it would be no big deal. Now, to be fair, for the finals, they don't have that situation because they'll just put a face up. They'll be side by side. There will be no top to bottom switching. So, yeah, what these what these broadcasters are going to find is if they I don't know how they're going to set up cameras, but 
it could all be accomplished on a vertical face just as easy as on a triangular face. Yeah, but, but as a practical whatever. matter, like I said, well, you know how to solve that, of course, will be to just tell them you got to shoot them in a certain order. And then the That's camera. That's how be... you solve that problem, right? Yeah. And yeah. just say, hey, for the finals, you got to shoot top to bottom. And then guess what? Everyone will do the rest of their life. They'll shoot top to bottom. So now the <clears throat> other problem with the vertical face, though, is that in some venues, the lighting can cast shadows when you shoot top to bottom. Yep. So some shooters prefer shooting bottom to top. Top. So here's what and, you do. Stop putting a freaking target directly under the light. At Neem, they often have those overhead lights. And in the final, they put the target square in the center of the, the butt, which is directly under that light, which casts that shadow vertically. And then you go, you shoot the top target. Now you've got an arrow shaft shadow directly through the middle of the second target. And that right. sucks. That's why you see guys start shooting bottom up so that they don't right. have those shadows. Well, guess what? I do the same thing on a Vegas face. I shoot one, three, two, because oftentimes number two casts a shadow into number three. Yes. So yes. pretty soon they're going to be like, oh, well, it's hard to do this because that guy shoots one, three, two. And now we, I don't know. So then they're going to, you know what they're going to do? They're going to mandate, popular word right now, they're going to mandate the order of targets that we shoot. They're going to say, you got to shoot one, two, three. And that's yeah. going to be stupid too. So just solve the problem, go vertical face and say, you got to shoot top to bottom or bottom to top and tell us, you know, <laughs> so that we have an idea for our freaking TV camera. You know, it's a lot better than it was in the old days in field archery. You used to have to shoot your numbered arrow, number one into target number one and so on. Um, I'm not sure we want to go back to that. Yeah. Field archery loves its rules. Like, NFA field archery is still a game of rules, not of archery, but it's getting better. Hopefully, um, <laughs> you are salty today, Steve. <laughs> world field, world field is well. I had to tell off someone here at work, you know. Ah, uh, you brought your mood into the room. Yeah, I didn't leave work at home with me because, well, what do you know? I'm still at work, but or I didn't leave work at the office. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. See, I saw that change. I'm like, wh whatever. Ultimately, I don't care. I'm just going to shoot all these things they do, and they do it for reasons, and then nothing really changes with this sport. I've been doing it now long enough to see all these things that we're going to build the sport and create this and create that. And at the end of the day, we're still where we were 10 years ago, whether anyone wants to admit that or not. I mean, maybe some of the broadcast coverage has gotten better. But it's not like that is creating a funnel of money pouring in from non-endemic sponsors. So it's still the people within the game supporting the game. It's still the manufacturers within the sport supporting it. And they can change all the rules to make this all better. And maybe it will do something. But chances are it's just changing the rules. Anyhow, you know, looking forward to it. I'm sure you are. <laughs> I hope I get the opportunity to shoot that triangle face at Neem someday. Hey, um, talking about triangle faces, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, now I, I have my view on this, I want to get yours. Shooting triangle faces, do you change how you address the target from uh, left to right, or do you just, you know, not make any adjustment? Sometimes I do, just, as a, just to tell myself I did. Like I putting one click on a site? Yeah, it's like, oh, I need to click. And really, it's like, okay, congrats, you move your arrow like 60,000 of an inch, maybe. Yeah. 
um, it's uh, sometimes I'll just shift my rear foot, you know, open a little bit to shoot target number two. And again, that's just a placebo probably, but sometimes that's what you need is a placebo. So, you know, if everybody were to make a step, you know, from left to right or right to left or whatever, and you were to require shooters to shoot in a particular order, pretty soon you'd see like a natural rhythm developing like a little tiny mini Mexican wave on the line. Don't you think? Yes. You'd get, <laughs> yeah. You'd see like about, I don't know, 45 seconds in, you'd see people start shifting over to the right a little bit. And then, you know, that'd be, it, I don't know. It's, you, you could, you could take a time-lapse video and just kind of, <laughs> yeah. You I don't know. I'm just I'm picturing about, it. Oh, sorry. My phone's ringing. Let me, oh, it's, it's HR. Pause uh -oh. the recording. It's HR. Really? All right. I'll yeah. pause. Several minutes later. Oh, boy. All right. So you just got a call from HR, huh? Yeah. Um, Hopefully nothing serious. No. Doesn't have anything to do with the uh, launching off on somebody that brought you into the mood you're in, does it? No. Um, it was, I was having fun with I, I made a joke is all. Oh, and, you, uh, made, you made a joke to HR. Well, that could be risky yeah. with some companies, but. No, I like I to mess. I like to mess with HR and they thought it was hilarious. And, uh, but they weren't quite sure if I was serious or not. So. See, that's the I best kind of joke. Yeah. I've been messing. I really been on it with them this week. So I've been messing with them about, um, my neighbor here in the office. Um, and then. I recently started an alliance slash union, which really gets people scared when you say that. Yeah, there's word. a word you don't want to use. <laughs> yeah, so I started a union amongst the four people over six foot four here in the office to uh, try to get us chairs that are sized for people who are over six foot four. Well, you know, there's another uh, word for a group like that. Uh, a mafia? It's a cabal. Oh, a cabal. That's, That's what right. we are. The six foot four uh, plus cabal. Yeah. So they were, they were calling me back on, on this stuff. I see. Yeah, I, well, I write them emails periodically and they, they don't know if I'm, they haven't figured out that I'm literally never serious to them, but and I'll title the email something like super important. Right. And they, that's a, that's a clue right there that it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, they were calling right. about that, but. All right. Where were we before you were rudely interrupted by the HR department? You were talking about Neem, and that was leading us to talk about Lancaster. Yeah, it seemed like we were heading that direction. Yeah. So what's the story? You're headed to Lancaster. We're going to Lancaster. I don't know if we're shooting vertical face, triangle face. I don't know. I'm just going to shoot at it when I get there. It's usually uh, triangle faces at Lancaster, is it not? Um, I don't know. And it's I, been both. And, and they're doing the uh, 11 ring? Yeah. Which is at a different location, I guess. Um, it's not in the middle of the three targets, no, right? No, that's the, that's the 12 ring, and that's only for the shoot-off. All right, now I'm confused. Yeah, Lancaster is basically 11 ring scoring, which is the X counts as 11. Gotcha. And then when you get to the, the, sh the shoot-up, they call it, then there's a 12 ring option, which I, it's only on one target. I think you have to call it, and the 12 ring is located... I want to say between the seven and eight could be between gotcha. the six and seven. I don't know. It's somewhere down there and it's small and you have to call gonna, it. 
I think you have to call it. They don't want no accidental 12 rings happening. Um, The compound guys will just figure out how many site clicks, move their site, aim at the middle and, and shoot, you know, that's what will happen there. Do you think it's, I think it's significant. I think it's significant anyway, that Rob Coffold has basically taken a lot of what was normal in tournaments and made major tweaks to it. And I believe created something really unique that people like. Yeah, And we've talked about that before. It's unique. People like it. What I'm starting to notice is that local tournaments around me are doing, they're like, Oh, we're doing Lancaster score. And it's because you don't feel the pain of shooting a a nine. Right. So a typical Vegas score, like you shoot that nine and you're like, Oh, well that, that sucks. If you're in, you know, if you're in my class, you're like, that's it, that I'm done. Um, so I don't know what that is. If it's just, I don't know. I think people don't like the, the uh, sudden death that comes with Vegas. So they gravitate towards the Lancaster score. They can make a mistake and still come back from it. And I don't know that I like that for local events. I think Lancaster is great for what it is. And it's an event we shoot once a year. Yeah. As you say, Uh, we touched on that before. We wouldn't want to see the Lancaster rules become the mainstream rules because, you know, then that would come with its own set of burdens. However, often what makes something great is the fact that you only do it once per year. That it is unique. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I I prefer to shoot Vegas scoring at all our local events because I look at them as practice. And honestly, I think every professional archer looks at Vegas as, as their season, right? They could go, said this a million times before you could have a great season fail to make the shoot off at vegas and it's not a good year you could have a terrible season make the shoot off at vegas and it's a great year so vegas is the is the uh the pinnacle of our indoor season and it's what i prefer to simulate when we're doing early season tournaments that i look at as practice another news this past week uh, mackenzie brown has announced that she's going to be switching from recurve to compound steve uh, she calls it a semi-retirement. I'm semi-retiring from a lot of things. <laughs> well, I'll say this. You know, Mackenzie shot as well as any American woman has in the past several decades at the Tokyo Games. And I think a lot of people looked at her and said, well, you ought to be ready to go to Paris. It's only three years away. But you know what? I think she's got balance. I think she's got her life in balance. And, um, you know, she got married in December, starting a new life. And I think that um, she is very satisfied with what she was able to accomplish in Tokyo and looking at things realistically, could she do better in Paris? Maybe, but is that worth the time and effort and pressure on a marriage and all the other stuff that would go into getting ready to get to that level again? I think she's made a wise choice here personally. Well, keep in mind, it's also, she's been to two Olympics, so she scratched that itch, you know, and, I think some people, they go to one and they're like, that was awesome. I want to go to another. And Mackenzie's now seen a normal Olympics, a COVID Olympics. She's probably like, you know, I, like it was a lot of work and a lot of time. And you're not like, you don't get younger. That's the one thing I've seen with, with some of the recurvers chasing the Olympic games. You know, I've, I've seen them chase it until they're in their early thirties and they haven't built anything for themselves outside of archery, no career development. And I'm sorry to say, but very few people, even if they make the Olympics, 
can continue to capitalize on archery. You know, most this of them true. need to go get a real job. This is um, true. Sebastian yeah. Flute sold insurance after he won the Barcelona games. Yeah. Jay Bars yeah. is doing far better in his career than he would be from anything archery related. Right. Yeah. Although he started, you know, he was working in archery, <clears throat> in fact, working for Easton for a few years after, um, going back to school after the 88 games, finishing his degree. And then he went and worked for Easton for a number of years doing right. a job very similar to the one you do right now. Yeah. Uh, but eventually he, you know, shifted gears and he's working in the pharmaceutical industry and, and very, very successful. So, so I, I look at that and I'm like, okay, so Mackenzie's smart enough to go, you know what? Um, I, I did that. I scratched the itch. You know, I had a successful Olympic games. It's time to probably move forward. And I, I don't know, I haven't talked to her one bit about this, but in my head, she's seen the other people around her either do the right thing or make mistakes because we've seen people leave archery and it was the right thing to do. And we've seen people stick around when it was the wrong thing to do. And she's been at the training center to see that. You know, she goes, all right, time for me to move on, have this marriage, you know, start a career, whatever. I don't know what she plans to do. I have no idea, but I think... Uh, I'm not going to hold it against her. You know, I think well, let's let's right uh, look forward to seeing her shooting a compound bow. Uh, you know, as she says, it has its own set of skills, and that'll be a challenge for her to learn her way around that. But nobody's going to question this. She has the mental game to know how to compete and to deal with pressure. And I think that uh, at the end of the day, that's going to serve her really well, no matter what she decides that she wants to do with yeah. either this sport or whatever else she wants. So. Uh, congratulations to uh, Mackenzie Brown, uh, you know, having put a decade into chasing the Olympic Games and having gotten to two Olympic Games, which is far more than most people do in, in double that effort. Um, she has a tremendous legacy to look back on. And uh, what a way to go out if she is indeed leaving recurve. Uh, but you never know. She's not that old. I think, you know, she, if she wants it, she can have it. She's proven. Yeah. It. In two years, she might go, you know what? Time to fire it back up and go grab a recurve and do it again. It's entirely possible. You know? So we'll see what happens. That break might be good for her. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. You know, it's hard work, very hard work. And maybe sometimes a break is what you need. So I uh, hope we get to see her at uh, some domestic events, uh, wielding a compound bow. And wish her the very best along with her new husband. So, Steve, as we uh, as we wrapped up 2021, we were left with the final rankings of the 2021 ranking list. And uh, at the top of the list, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Sarah Lopez uh, for the compound women. No big surprise that Mike Schlusser is at the top of the list for the compound men. And no surprises either for the recurves. Brady Allison hung on to his world's number one ranking. And uh, we're looking at Ann San, of course, taking the uh, top slot for the women. Ann San moving up five places to first, but she only got her ranking points at the Olympics and the World Championships. Put her just ahead of Deepika Kumari. Um, Elena Osipova, who was second at the Olympics, then Lisa Barbalan, the European champion, and Mackenzie Brown. All of these people jumped about 35 places over the course of the season. For the recurve men, you have, uh, and, and maybe a bit of a surprise, that uh, Brady finished ahead of Mete, 
but Brady did finish ahead of Mete, uh, number one. Mete moved up four places to second. Uh, Galsan Barzazapov of Russia moved up 22 places for third. Kim Woo-jin, if I had to just guess who was ranked number one last year, I would have said Kim Woo-jin. I really would. He's fourth. And Maro Nespoli, the Olympic silver medalist, fifth. Um, for the uh, recurves, you're looking at Ann San, number one, Deepika Kamari, Elena Osipova, Lisa Barbalan, and Mackenzie Brown in fifth place. And then for the compound men, Mike Schlusser, Netherlands, on the first, uh, for his first time at the top of the list, uh, it is Matthias Fullerton from Denmark. Matthias was unranked before this year, and now he's number two. Raiden Galantine of the United States um, is third. Chris Schaff of the United States is fourth. And Abhishek Virma of India is fifth. So, you know, ranking list is kind of a bragging rights list as much as anything else. And finally, the compound women, you've got Sarah Lopez, number one. Tanya Galantine of Denmark is second. Toya Ellison of Slovenia is third. Jyothi Venom of India is fourth. And then rounding out the top five, former world champion Natalia Avdieva of the Russian Federation. So that gives, as we mentioned before, GOAT status to Sarah Lopez, Steve. Yeah, I, uh, there's no, there's really no questioning that. She's got that title already and still a long career ahead of her if she wants to do it. Yeah. So great stuff. Getting ready for uh, Lancaster. What is your uh, practice plan? What are you working on right now? Shoot some arrows. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, nothing different. Just right now shooting arrows. Again, trying to make sure I'm strong. The game hasn't changed. Um, I, I will not change my practice routine if we're shooting at a vertical face or a triangular face. I will continue to shoot a triangular face because that's what we'll shoot at Vegas. Hey, the rumor mill tells me there's going to be some big doings in Vegas for the Easton 100th anniversary thing. You know anything about that? Yeah, there will be, uh, you know, the uh, the Easton management group is, is putting on, uh, they're going to have a booth there with some historical things from the company. And there'll be a lot to see. I'm excited to see it because I, you know, I don't know what it is, but um It'll be worth seeing and, and taking it in. And I think there will be a lot of T-shirts blasted out of a T-shirt cannon. Uh-huh. I hear that Greg's going to be dual wielding and it'll be going full auto. I heard full auto. Then I heard Gatling gun style T-shirt gun. So Bruce has got something. Bruce has got something in the works that yeah. could be spectacular. Yeah. Which I'm, means I'm, it'll, it'll be on the edge of disaster. You know that there's going to be fire involved. There's no doubt in my mind there will be fire involved. I'm looking forward to it. And maybe maybe galloping horses and maybe a chariot. I don't know. Now, what would we, you know what would be cool would be Greg Easton comes out on a flaming chariot with dual-wielding Gatling gun T-shirt cannons. I like that idea. Um, I think the chariot will be a little different than what you might think. 